0: Welcome to Life in the Music Business,
1: a masterclass with Professor Pooch and your host, Bass Face. Hey, how's it going, guys? Welcome back to Life in the Music Business with Professor Pooch. Pooch, how you doing tonight? I'm
0: doing, I'm doing. <laughs> Typical organized chaos, except sometimes it gets unorganized and uh, I have to deal with it, you know.
1: Of course, it's tough to always be able to be but, on schedule.
0: But the thing is, it's it's great when it's cast because it's not boring. And boring is the worst <laughs> type of thing to go through if you're a creative person. Because I see a lot of creative people, you know, they'll create positive things, but they'll also create po- unpositive, non-positive things. They go, oh, what am I going to do about this? And, you know, they get it. Start focusing on the problem instead of the solution. Start worrying
1: about everything, and I mean, it's crazy. But I mean, the chaos is even good on my end too. I've been working a lot, doing a lot of different sessions, and working with artists. So it's been keeping me busy at the same time. When you do
0: a combination, of basically, you engineer, you produce, you do
1: everything. Right? Yeah, yeah, I do a lot of different things. Uh, the other day, I was actually working on a song with one of my artists. We were doing like an orchestral arrangement where I, I was composing everything. And then I actually was crazy. I had somebody else come in later on that night to do a similar thing for a song that they were working on. So I've been doing a lot of orchestral work recently.
0: <laughs> well, it's good you have that skill to be able to do things like that. But yeah. you, know what, you know what that brings up what you're talking about? In the old days, you know, when I first started, you had record companies, publishing companies. You know, everything was separated. And, you know, you would get the song from the publishing company for the artist. You know, I I was one of the first, you know, I wrote my own stuff. But, you know, right, just, I'm just past that thing where you went through different things. But what started happening, especially now today, is there's one person <laughs> sitting down and being the songwriter, the arranger, the producer, <laughs> the engineer you know see because by definition if we went by definition a song if you're a songwriter is lead melody and words okay you know yeah and uh then arranging is what the instruments play the range and the tempo the rhythm the you know all that kinds of stuff what the instrumentation does basically and the background vocals are considered arrangement okay now and then there's the producing the which the producer of music is equal to a director of a movie they they guide the whole process normally i mean nowadays you'll just have people it'll be split into two where one's doing the tracks which is mostly arranging really if they mix it down to two tracks they're also partly producing it okay everything's changed you know i mean engineering i mean i even found it myself because i had a mini studio here and I, I'd sit at my workstation and I'm writing, arranging, producing, engineering all. At once.
1: It's crazy. It's a different world nowadays, especially like, well, everything you're saying, like, I, that's how I act in, in this case. Like, I do so many things from graphic design to website design to writing code to making uh, productions from scratch to composing. I mean,
0: I've but learned so many things
1: over the years. I think that's really interesting when you can
0: do multiple things, you know, Instead of just doing the same thing over and over again, yeah, you might love to do it, but it, there's nothing like a little variety, you
1: know. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I honestly never get bored, and I always have money coming from somewhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's what counts. Back to that, you know, everybody remember MSI, multiple sources of income. That's you know, you have income coming from doing different kinds of things. I figure it out how to charge for them. Drives people crazy, you know. How do you charge for this? And it's not easy for me to figure it out either to tell people, you know. But what I usually state is, well, how much is it, how much do you charge for an hour? <laughs> you know. Now the songwriter, you know, that's separate; that's covered separately. But when you're arranging instruments and
1: producing, it's time. Time is money. Any business person will tell you that. Time is money. Of course, it's a, it's a super important being able to value your time is what I found super important. I mean, to, to bring it into an interesting topic, I mean, I've I've met people that have won 10 Grammys that are doing this or doing that and have worked with all these artists and are charging like $50 an hour. And I mean, to me, that is just, just absurd. It's just like people are undermining themselves by not really charging the real money. And even out in New York, I've seen people with the same credits charging $30 an hour. And wow. now, that to me blows my mind because I'm used to 75 to 150 an hour rates. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's what, but part of that is this virus stuff, you know, and they're just lucky to get work. I mean, I mean, I even know for myself, you know, and I'm, I'm rather inexpensive for all the stuff I do, which, you know, guiding careers and handling contracts and stuff. But there's a lot of people that aren't working. They don't have money. Yeah. You know? And, I'll work things out with them, but you know, and uh, I lowered the prices of my books and courses, you know, because, you know, I don't, I want them to be educated. At the same point, what people forget is pooches have to eat. But I'm gonna teach you one lesson that I found out, I never figured out why, but it always happens this way. If you do things for nothing for people, then the only people that will come to you are people expecting you to do something for nothing. I haven't figured out how that works. It something has to do with the universe and vibrations and frequencies and all kinds of stuff.
1: Craziness. People. I mean, I've seen that correlation too, because I mean, there's people that I've worked with that have no problem paying me whatever it is an hour. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't I don't know if I should be talking about rates, but I mean, I, anything that I feel that makes me want to get up in the morning. You know what I mean? That, that, that's how I, I can, I usually establish my rates. Like, what would I be comfortable doing? I mean, and some people, the other people are, are have money, all the money in the world and won't even be able to pay a fraction of that. I don't want to, at least.
0: Well, see, my thing is, it's very important to me for everybody to be protected. That's my big thing. You know, so they're safe and nobody's going to steal their stuff. So I admit that I have a sliding scale (laughs) of prices. Obviously, well-known companies and stuff and lawyers and stuff come to me. I'm going to charge them more than I'm going to charge somebody just starting out. I mean, it makes sense to me.
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, and it works better in the long run because if you just have... I've seen people that just put their rates on their website and those rates apply to everything. And that could be even limiting in a way. And you could be losing out on money because you can't generalize rates just like we can't, we couldn't generalize the third step of your program because there's so many factors involved. And the same thing that you were saying. If a, if a major label is coming to me and wants production, my rate doubles automatically.
0: Yeah. I, and the thing is, see, but part of what you do is you could charge for different things. You could charge for your engineering per hour, and you could charge for your producing per hour if you're the producer, you know? Definitely. So they're two different things, you know, and it can add up, you know, and maybe give a two-for-one sale or something. Yeah, something.
1: exactly, for sure. And that's, <laughs> that's what kind of drives me crazy sometimes because, like, I see so many credited people that are, like, uh, actually just credited people are just normal engineers and stuff. I hear uh, the biggest complaint I hear all the time is, oh, there's no work. I'm, I can't work. I can't do this and I can't do that. But I will be the first one to go on record saying that this entire time through quarantine and through everything in the last three, four years, I've made my living off of music just based on the my, my principles and everything that I've learned to be able to actually deal with customers and, and make sure people are satisfied with their product.
0: And And you know what helps to me? is some people are approachable, it's their personalities. And one of the things I talk about in my books and stuff is, you know, in choosing a studio, you have to feel comfortable there. I've come to studios where I just didn't feel comfortable and I couldn't record there. And a lot of that, that has to do with, I mean, the studios are what? thing, it's the people in the studios. Maybe they're my type of people. Yeah. There's, there's different things that are going to attract and repel people, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, we ran into it. Oh, I can tell you multiple stories about, you know, just not feeling comfortable working with the people you're working with. And my thing is, you know, when you're working with an engineer, you're working right alongside of them. If I was the producer or the artist, right, I got to feel comfortable and know we're talking the same language, <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: That's one of the biggest things I see because a lot of people don't understand that. And I, I've, I've heard horror stories of artists in the studio that just weren't vibing and the whole situation broke out. But I feel like if you're able to, if you're a good, uh, if you're able to deal with people, then you'll be able to make it in any business, especially in music business, being that it's all network based and word of mouth.
0: Well, and also I follow one of my, it's kind of like a universal rule. I like to give more in benefits and value than I receive in cash money. You know, you gotta make room for something so, for, to have, you know, some give some good out to receive some good, you know, more good back. You're making room and stuff for this. Of and it's a super important because I've left dealing with certain companies just in regular business stuff because their customer service stunk. know i mean if it really sucks like where i can't deal with people either they're being really weird and oh man you know i i my thing is customer service is very important if you give your all and you have also another benefit that a lot of people in studios don't have and that is you actually know how to play instruments of course you can think like strings you can think like you can play guitar, you can play piano, you know, I mean, a lot of the people are just using computers. Yeah. And when they see somebody that can do this extra stuff, you know I mean? It used to help me out. I mean, <laughs> the funny part is, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of funny stories, but, but the main one is when I have my studio here, I worked on an emulator too. It was one of the first music Workstations. It was a sound sampler, and then I midied up, you know, communicated with different synthesizers and stuff. And now I could play the piano, but I would never hire me, okay? I could play it, okay. But the great thing about with MIDI and with uh, sequencers and stuff like that, you could play sections at a time, okay. And that and people thought, "Wow, boy, can you play piano? You want to go on tour with me?" I said, <laughs> 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 "No way! I'll never pull up a song all the way from beginning to end." And I just wondered they sold my fancy equipment. It just wanted me for because the equipment looked cool. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it's actually funny because I mean, uh I've been playing instruments my whole life, but the, the one of the interesting facts that you'll find out about me is that like there's not one instrument that I'm a master of. Like I I've never like I've mastered my production, my engineering and a lot of other things. But when it comes to my instruments, I was never like a, a Eddie Van Halen prodigy. I But I, my ability to have the understanding of the piano would help me be able to understand what each person in the band or orchestra or anything are, are supposed to be doing note wise. So I hear a lot of the things and I can just write it out. And um, it kind of just works itself out at the end of the day, even though I can't play all these instruments that that well. So Yeah,
0: but, but see, you said something very important that I try to bring up to people. Okay, you're one person sitting behind a computer or you might have a little, you know, MIDI keyboard or whatever you're using or whatever. When you do a bass part, you got to think like a bass player, okay? At least somewhat. And then some people, you know, they'll play a trumpet and they'll say, wait a minute, a real trumpet can't reach that note. <laughs> you know, it's, and you know, some people don't care. Who cares? It sounds good.
1: <laughs> and that's actually, that actually is an interesting point too because understanding the timbre and the range of the instruments, you can you can you know what the limitations are because obviously, like you said, a trumpet's going to be more towards a higher register but then a bass is going to be towards the lower register and then you have the piano that's kind of in the middle and then the strings are kind of higher so it's like you could do, it, it depends on what you're, you you want to get out of it. But the way I usually approach production is kind of like what I feel is missing. And they usually, I usually combine three, four, five sounds to create a texture of one main thing. So my my main piano for my beat or my song may sound like it's one, but it's really six or seven or whatever I felt uh, fit at that moment for that production.
0: What that reminds me of is one of my, you know, it was. I used an 2 which was a sound sampler. Now, all it held in those days, this is from, an instrument from 1985, okay? Mm-hmm. It held as a sampler, it could hold 16 and a half seconds. That was its maximum, okay? And everything on a disc was a sample, real instrument. And my trumpet sounded great because you hit one key and it was seven trumpets. <laughs> mm-hmm. and that was great, except that because of all this, memory kind of stuff. It could only play for a few seconds. So I couldn't like sustain something
1: to it. Oh man, that's
0: horrifying. Yeah, but you know it was really great. I and I, I guess there must be machinery that could do it now or people will configure it out. If you want to figure it out, I'm sure you can figure it out. Is say I wanted background vocals. Okay. You know, try to get the perfect background vocals each time around the uh, depends on the artist and if they can do it in background vocalists, et cetera. But what we would do is if you get it right once, and let's say it's three-part three part harmony, dum-dum-dum, you know, and you know, you might have a major, whatever the thing is, three-part harmony sounds really good. What I would do is take it from the tape, put it back in the sampler, and you can make my sampler what is known as non transpose so, like most keyboards, go up a scale, da 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 da. You know, mm-hmm. I could make the emulator go da 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 all the same note. So, what I could do is, if I, the first chorus, I might have uh, I wanted six voices. I would hit two keys, but you couldn't hit them straight on, or you had phasing problems. You would like roll your fist, like drum. And you have six voices if i wanted 12 voices i had to hit four keys <laughs> but it but it was neat because it sounded like kind of coursed natural wow. you know without digitally chorusing and stuff
1: yeah that's very interesting i mean there's so many production techniques and stuff i mean there's so many sources of information that you can even go like mix with the masters you can go check them out and see now what is actually, what goes into the most popular mixes? They have the top engineers from the game and you can go there and learn and be able to pick up different tic- tips and tricks from all different people. And that's that's what I've been doing for a while, but uh, that's just like a side note for people. But at the same time, when you go and you see these major productions and these major songs that won uh, t- 10, that are 10 time platinum diamond records and all these incredible uh, achievements, it's so simple in 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 the production and the arrangement and everything is so straightforward to the point where it's bite-sized for people and that's what i feel like is a is a criteria for a hit song is just being this is saying
0: simplicity is genius it is harder to it's easier to write complicated things than it is to have the simple things where it's just each note really means a lot in the place where it is you know what i mean the simpler and the simpler, yeah. And you need spacing. Some people cover up everything. Uh, one of the best lessons I learned, and God, I try to bring this up to people because I'll get so many, you know, obviously with clients and stuff with me stuff, and uh, especially for step three where we have to listen to the songs and you know work it out specifically, you know. But uh, what'll happen is I'll hear the uh, songs, and everything is up front rolled together. And I love how engineers say, well, we'll fix it in mastering. You can't fix it in mastering if you can't reach in and pull each instrument and put it where you want it to go. Otherwise, all they could do is slam it upwards, okay? Bruce. But I learned from Bruce Reedian. This goes back, the way I learned was funny because I was actually online in 1985. There was no internet. It was online, it was dial up and it was a trip where do you can get these bulletin boards? And Bruce Sweetian was on this network I was on. It was called PAN, Professor, Pro, yeah. <laughs> Professional hmm. Artist Network. And he explained it to me beautiful. Now, Bruce Weedian if you don't know the name, uh, won look him up. <laughs> awards and everything. He did Michael Jackson's multi, multi, million dollar, you know, kind of thing. He showed me a beautiful thing. that was so simple. Now, look. Let's say you're looking at me and uh, what do you see? I'm on stage now, picture a stage. And what do you see up front? You see the artist; it could be a singer, a rapper. Right behind them is usually the bass drum. Okay, so the separation in tones there right away. Now, let's look at the drummer. The drummer, the bass drum might be here. The snare might be here. The hi-hat might be here. The toms could be around and you got to paint that picture maybe the bass player is to your left that's well my left <laughs> and uh, and back three feet and the guitar player could be way back here you know and you got to paint that depth and that's people you know they put everything up front but what they don't understand is if you know how to do depth by using reverb and EQ and things like that to make it stand out. I mean, you know, I hear somebody things where everything's right together and the voice is mixed up in it. And of course, it, you can raise it to ridiculous amounts, but it's still not gonna be clear because the frequencies are getting in the road. If you know how to do it right, y- your instruments can be blasting and the voice can be real low. But be perfectly crystally clear.
1: Exactly. It's
0: just how you mix it. You need to know about panning, yes. But you also need to know about depth. You can't have everything up front because it that's not real, folks. You wanna, you wanna listen to, you know, hopefully hit decent speakers, and you know, and sit back and like you're watching somebody on a stage. And that was one of the best lessons I've ever learned. It was so simple. But then I had a picture, you know, yeah. oh yeah, the hat's over here a little. I'm going to pan this just a little over here for the hat and the snare might be here or whatever, you know.
1: Yeah. Bruce Redean is a genius. I mean, for everybody that, that don't know Bruce Rodin, he is uh, he was Quincy Jones' right-hand man. I yeah. mean, he used I, to I, read all of Quincy Jones' score and engineer all of Michael Jackson's records. And I mean he, he that guy's a wealth of knowledge, so that's just one pooch knowing him is just incredible in the, in that fact, and even well, a lesson by him the the funniest,
0: the funniest thing he told me now picture this you're you've never been an engineer in a major studio before. His first engineering job was with Quincy in the fifty eight or something like that, I forget, and he had to do the whole Duke Ellington orchestra, oh my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Oh, by the way, one of the interesting things back then, because uh, when I went to music college, I was taught by Harry Skeets Marsh, who traveled around. He played for Duke Ellington when Duke Ellington went overseas because the American drummer he used wouldn't go across. But would you believe that if you were the drummer for Duke Ellington, your part was written out for you? The drummers had to read sheet music.
1: Yeah. It's incredible, incredible thing, especially nowadays that being a thing of the past.
0: Oh man, it's just—I mean, he told me stories. You know, I learned a lot from him. Just you know, just with the stories. You know, there's nothing like real experience. It's—it's neat having a teacher who is teaching me. You know how to play this and that. You know, and but but the stories and stuff like that. Uh, oh boy
1: (laughs) crazy i mean that's an important thing being able to put everything in its own pocket and that's another thing i see is a lot of people especially from uh we can talk from multiple aspects but i mean overall like from the from the beat productions to the full songs everything is just so generic no people nobody's really trying to really push the envelope everybody's just trying to get it loud and that's the thing is that when you, when you listen to a Bruce Swedean mix, you can hear everything so perfect and clear. And it's like everything is, is put in a place for a specific reason. I mean, yeah. one, one fraction frequency. off could change the entire mix.
0: And the frequency, yeah. And people don't understand that. When you do a mix, okay, you might have four or five instruments, whatever it's like. Look, I want to change this just a hair, a little more on the guitar. Well, once you change one little thing, it changes the whole mix. You only got these two channels, folks. You mix it down to the stereo, you know. Yeah. And you change one little thing, it could change everything. And people forget things like to put all this reverb on this instrument, reverb on that. Reverb is cumulative. It can all of a sudden sound like, you know, and like you're underwater or something.
1: Of course. And,
0: and a lot of people. Well, I know very few people that like their own voices and stuff, and they try to cover their voices up, folks. Liz, watch the TV and films when there's placements, you know, they're placing their songs and stuff. You notice how you can understand the words. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very important for TV and film because they have to match it to a script. Yeah. Okay. okay. So there's lots of things to think about in this whole thing. And, and this is all about production and stuff. We started off with talking about prices and we, <laughs> we were, we we're going into all the whole thing, but it's such a gigantic subject It needs to be covered.
1: Yeah, of course. And I feel like another thing that we could talk about as well is like what to uh, expect, like what you should be looking for when you go to a studio. I mean, automatically, I mean, you know, off the bat, you need to be treated with professionalism and and, uh, being able to have somebody there that you can work with. But then at the same time, when you're leaving the studio, you need to make sure that you also get your files with you, make sure you have a hard drive, because most of the time I've seen people's careers end because the studio had deleted their work.
0: Oh boy, yeah. Or, or the computer crashed because they didn't back it up. Or the, okay. Let's take it a stage at a time. You said, first of all, what are you looking for in a studio? Let's start walking into a studio. I look for three things, okay? One, can they give you what you need? Now, that sound-wise, equipment-wise, whatever. My thing is, listen to some of the stuff they've done and make sure it's in uh, somewhat in your style. Now, keep in mind, don't go by the artist. They might've been a screwy artist or a screwy producer, but can they give you the general overall sound you're looking for? The second thing we touched on already, are you comfortable working within that studio? The vibe's good. It's, it's important, believe it or not. And the third, can you afford them? <laughs> so there's three major things there. But yeah, but, Oh, you mentioned a very important thing. And that is, folks, if you, look, whoever pays for a session owns the recording. And anybody that does not go in, it pays to pay on time or in advance, whatever you have to do if you trust the studio, take a USB drive in there. And after every session get all the files, the rough mixes, the stems. Stems are each individual track, you know, the hi-hat, the everything. Each individual track I- in waveform, okay? Yeah, that's the main one. And you want everything because their computer could break. And we've had problems with this. I mean, I-, I could run the Philadelphia recording community. And it's a large community of a ton of engineers and studio owners and producers, et cetera. Et cetera. Uh, but one of the major problems we were bringing up because one of the artists got on there and was complaining man they lost my you know my thing you know like you said they they lost my sessions and stuff like that oh my god you know and man you no excuse and if i was a studio i'd say you must bring in a hard drive and you pay for it you must have a copy when you leave it or Put it on, you know, one of the uh, clouds,
1: you know, the drop and drive, yeah, people drive box. Those drop would box. Be cool. yeah,
0: <laughs> mixing up the two drop yeah. clouds.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's super wow. important, though. And I mean, the, they, uh, one thing that they always say about the industry, or, or say in the industry, uh, rather, is that three is two, two is one, and one is none. So <laughs> always imagine that when you're worried about your backups and your music and your career if you don't if you don't have at least two backups then you're you're basically irrelevant, you know what I mean you can't really that you need to to be able to be in this industry you need to make sure that you can you know what i mean keep your files secure and the only way to do that is to have it in multiple yeah, places
0: just have them with you all the time you know and anyhow you might not like what was being done there and you might want to take those files someplace else to finish <laughs> that can happen too and maybe the studio is concerned about that oh yeah, yeah I mean it's super important with the files. And by the way, I always, on one of my Facebook sites is uh, Poochcast, Facebook.com slash Poochcast, P-O-O-C-H-C-A-S-T. And on it, every couple months, I put up a, a notice saying, did you remember to save, back up your hard drives on your computer? And, and do you remember the last time you did it? And if you can't remember the last time you did it, it's been too long <laughs> because hard drives die, okay? I've had, now I've been around for a while, but I've had hard drives. I've had three hard drives die on me. Now, one thing I also do, and you could do if you want. I don't know if you can even do it with laptops. I use a desktop with a, a monster kind of tower, okay? Excuse <clears throat> you me. Know, but I don't use one drive in my computers, I use two. One for the programs and one for my files, but I can also, if it's real important, I'll back it up to the other drive as well as back it up to the cloud, as well as back it up to us. I, I have a two terabyte, they make them now and they're not expensive at all anymore, two terabyte USB drive. Mm. And you know, it's just
1: super important. Because yeah. hard drives die. They yeah, really do. They you do. Think- yeah, they do. And it's it's super important to make sure you have that stuff backed up. And that's the other thing is like mistreating them. Like you can't drop them on the floor, kick <laughs> them, run them over with your car because people forget oh. that the hard drives nowadays, uh, there's two types of hard drives. One is the mechanical drive, where there's a disc in the drive and it is be it's spinning at uh thirty nine hundred uh uh reps per second or per minute RPMs, and uh that's how that's how it's read so when you drop it then that could fall out of its place and then all of a sudden the hard drive is rendered useless unless you pay absurd amount, amount of money to be able to go see if you can get it fixed and then the other type of hard drive is a solid state drive and um even to this day i'm still a little, a little weary about them because if those things die they die for good and there's no coming back at least of a mechanical drive he it dies it, it'll cough a little bit but <laughs> you take it to else and they'll be
0: able to revive it well, you know when drives are going to die, usually you hear click, 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 click. Or they,
1: in my experience, or they start acting real slow, and they start free. your computer starts freezing up.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. But mine, I, I heard, uh-oh, click, click, click.
1: Yeah, of course. And oh, believe me, I'll, uh, I'll be the first one to say that I've lost so many drives in the process um, of doing music. It's unbelievable. Like, I even had I, – so, I recently, over quarantine, I bought two hard drives. I bought a 4-terabyte and a 5-terabyte. Wow. My 4-terabyte, I had plugged in, and then I, I tried to eject it, and I guess it didn't eject fully. And when I unplugged it from my Mac, it automatically only would be a, a recognizable on Windows. So, automatically, all the, all the storage that I had on the 4-terabyte uh, was it was basically gone. So, I had to go plug it into a, a Windows computer and try to get it all back, and I got it back but. Either way, I mean, it goes to show. I mean, I've had uh, drives fail on me and they were brand new. So you always have to be careful and make sure you have backups and never trust it as the end-all be-all.
0: What it reminds me of back when we were talking about 85, 84, I owned one of the first external hard drives. Now, the computers in those days did not have internal hard drives. They didn't have... Hard drives, everything was on a floppy disk. And just to show you, you could buy a, what did I buy? A a two terabyte for, I don't know, 90 or 100, I don't remember. And uh, back then, I got a 20 megabyte hard drive for $750. It was a box like this long, this wide, okay? And it was named after different Star Trek things, but uh, yeah, mine was warp a warp nine technologies. That's right. And I had some kind of thing. But now, how could you figure out twenty megabytes, which is like nothing nowadays? Because back then, it was just text and uh, very rough paintings. Forget songs. Forget uh, you know films. Forget videos and stuff. But I was able to do some work with my emulator too from it, but it didn't hold much at all, and the quality, uh, all I had to do was make it work enough so that the emulator could save it to its disk that could hold more. (laughs) But oh man the memories to some of that stuff. Jeez.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. And I mean some of the some of the newer laptops and stuff you're not really able to upgrade anymore. That's why personally I use a I always have used a older MacBook Pro. So the one I'm using right now is a 2015, but uh, before that I was using a 2011 for about 5 years. So a lot of people think they need to spend a lot of money to be able to get something good, but I mean it, there's no point the way I see it, the way I can explain to people the best is like why buy a brand new laptop for $3,000 when, uh, when you can go back two, three, four, five years and get something that was the top of the line at that moment for half the price or even a third of the price? And to me, yeah. it's, always, it's always better because then it comes with the more ports and stuff that I need to use to make music on a daily basis.
0: Well, it's still like I still use Windows 7. You know, Windows 10 has been out for a while, yeah. but Windows 7 works and i'm comfortable with it and a lot of problems with the engineers are having with the i know with the photography recording community and our website and stuff uh a lot of the problems are having is you know uh mac might up you know go to the next browser or whatever they're using a software system you know and stuff like that oh yeah and the plugins aren't working to the Pro Tools or whatever and i keep hearing complaints after complaints you know man, if you're comfortable with something and it gives you what you want and need back to the studio thing, that's what counts.
1: Of course. And that's, believe me, the same thing that you're talking about right now. I just went through with my laptop because I upgraded from a 500 gig hard drive to a, a terabyte. So it automatically upgraded me to Catalina. And I had problems with Pro Tools that I use all the time with Ableton. I use all the time with all of my video production stuff. I mean, it caused so much chaos in my life, and I didn't, even, I didn't even know what to do. So I had to go take it to my dad, who's been in computers for 30 years, and luckily he was able to help me out.
0: Hey, you're lucky. I, I used my son normally. You no, know, Jonathan, help. You know, I mean, he builds my computer. People say, God, that's a big terror. Who made that? And I said, uh, you know, what's the brand? I don't know. It's my son. He said, dad, you need this, dad, you need that, that. You know, for I explained what I needed. I'm going video. I need to be able to do the major video programs and the audio programs, like, you know, great sound. Coffee, guys. Okay. And he just, you know, you know, we built it. You know well, he built it. You know, but, uh, you know, and uh it's been working that's, you know. Yeah, that's all you need, you crossed, you know.
1: Yeah, you don't really need much to be able to make music. I mean, even a $300 laptop will get you farther than the majority of the stuff you could pay for. So, well, I, don't, I a majority of the stuff I hear, I hear I always hear excuses, but there's always another way.
0: Well, what you just said is important is that, you know, a $300 or whatever like that. The point is First of all, if you don't have a great song, it doesn't matter how much you spend on a thing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, know how to engineer and don't know how to produce, it, it doesn't matter if you spend $100 or 10 grand, you know? Exactly. <laughs> the point you need to just, you know, kind of give you what you want and need and you know how to work. <laughs> you know, that's what counts.
1: Of course, and uh, you, don't need, you don't need much. And that's the thing. It's like, but everything that I do, I've seen the best engineers in the game they all use stock Pro Tools plugins. I mean, it's it's lighter. The, the cool thing about Pro Tools is that it, when you use the stock plugins, it's lighter on the DSP power and it, 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 it frees up a lot of space on your computer. In other words, so that one you can you can um, you can get a great sound, and two it's universal for other engineers. So uh, if anything were to happen and somebody else is supposed to mix the song, say like I've finished the mix and but I'm giving it to Manny Mariquin to like finish it off, or and then give it to Chris garranger to do the mastering or whatever along those lines. If I have all these exquisite plugins that uh, are one of a kind, then now that engineer that is receiving that project also has to deal with those problems. So the easiest way to do that is to use the stock plugins because there's so many companies out there that are charging uh, the top dollar for plugins that you can't even, you can never sell. You, you, most of the people don't even have. And I mean, it's just simpler that way. Just keep everything stock. You don't need anything crazy. You don't need millions of dollars of plugins, you just need a computer, and either Pro Tools, Ableton, or whatever or whatever works for you.
0: Yeah, I, you remind me of, God, there so many years, like through the 70s, 80s, 90s when I was recording, every studio would compete with the next studio on the newest equipment, and now that could be a, you know, a Neve board and an SSL, mm-hmm. and they had the latest of the latest, and it, they spent most of their money on just trying to make the customers happy, it's it's to me, it's bull.
1: Yeah, you no, know? doesn't make a difference. I mean, like I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. So when you're dealing with microphones and you have preamps for those microphones, I mean, those are super important. That and then your audio interface. I mean, I agree. Those are the three most important things because you could be on a, a half a million dollar board, but if you don't know how to use it, you're not going to be able to to get the sound out of it. You know what I mean? Like, there's some benefits to it, but. At the end of the day, if you, if you have a good microphone, a good preamp, and a good audio interface, and, and good speakers, then you can, you can get a good mix anywhere.
0: Oh, and the microphones, God, that's important. I've seen things messed up from two ways with vocals. One, it's a microphone that doesn't work for your voice, and two, it's putting too many effects on it, you know, and a lot of vocalists don't like their own voice, I mentioned way back. And, you know, they'll put all this reverb and stuff, man, but it's just, after a while, the cumulative reverb just really gets to you by that point.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you have to be careful with everything that you do. You never want to overdo anything. I mean, I have a different, uh, more of an unorthodox approach to mixing uh, than most people, you know, but. uh, Hey, if
0: it works for you, it works for you and your clients are happy. That's all that matters. I mean, I break every rule. I mean, when I was engineering, I break rules the way I play guitar. When, if somebody was trained, I taught myself, somebody was trained, say, boy, you hit a D chord funny. <laughs> you know? That's the way I did it the time. <laughs> exactly. It
1: doesn't matter at all. Like, like you said, what works for you is what works for you, and nobody else can say anything about it. Hey, If it works, it works. That's the key. That's yeah. the key.
0: Oh, boy. Oh, we, took yeah. that all. we started with producing and we got into all this kinds of stuff, but it's all important stuff for everybody to know about. And there's so many people that want to become, you know, producers and engineers and stuff. And what's been funny, it's even for the last 10, even 15 years ago, where since then, the, a lot of managers look to sign not just artists, but they look to sign producers. Mm, i've seen that recently too it's a lot of it yeah oh yeah it's more and more now but i remember back even 15 years ago uh, they were signing you know managers were signing producers and then let, that, let the producers deal with the damn artists, you know. As yeah, they of, course. of course. yeah. <laughs> they of course. So with
1: to try to make something happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> i catch 22, you know.
0: <laughs> well, no, there's a lot of producers. I, I, I'm in a couple situations now that producers want me to help them with, you know, I, I don't manage. I'll guide your manager, okay? That's fine. So as long as you're happy with the manager person and just need my advice once in a while. But it's just very important. You know, a lot of producers just don't want to do the business. And I understand that. You know, there's a lot of artists don't want to do the business, but make sure whoever you're with, that manager or whatever, you know, you can trust them that they're looking out for you in your best interest, not their best interest.
1: Okay. And that's that's the biggest problem. I mean, like, we there was the, I mean, this is probably good something good to end off with, but we even, uh, Kanye's even been going out on a, on a limb talking about how the labels are taking advantage of artists and uh, one of the top producers, Hit Boy, was sitting there talking about how he was in the worst publishing, like he, he referred to it as the worst publishing contract in history. And he had uh, three different attorneys had read the contract and told him that. And he had signed it when he had first started. So he didn't know. They and see been-
0: them, They see the money advances. And I'll tell you the, an example of why this could have happened. They'll see. well, you know, just to start out and maybe 75,000 sounds really good to you. This this was offered to a producer I was rep- representing and I shut it down right away. It said, here's $75,000 if you sign this contract. But what it was actually saying, if you read the whole contract, they were gonna give you like 10,000 now. And the way to get the rest of the 65, or whatever, I have my math, $65,000, you had to put out 10 songs but it also stated you have to put out 10 songs as the artist and he wasn't the artist he was a producer so he wouldn't have seen that money if the other people and maybe he didn't want to be an artist you know you have to read the contracts or come to me or an entertainment attorney that really knows the music industry exactly because they, they see these big numbers artists see these what was that young kid group that they were offered uh, 40, $4 million to sign and they got, ended up with, I think, $20,000 to split between the three guys. Uh, you know, folks, it's not always the amount of money. It's how you get the money and if you actually receive it because that $4 million might just cover your recording things. And they say, okay, that money goes to your recording thing. And if there's any money left over, you can have some of that. You know, and then they set it up where they paid his producer $150,000 a song so they picked from. And all of a sudden, there's like $20,000 left. Yeah.
1: In it's day. so funny. Can people think that they, when they get a million or $2 million, say you already get $2 million right off the bat, right? And say you have people that helped you get through that. So, people think automatically, oh, I signed a $2 million deal. I get $2 million. No. no. <laughs> so, right off the bat, you have to pay off, you have to pay off the, uh, your manager, 20%. Boom, two hundred thousand gone. All right, that's off the gross.
0: The manager is off the gross. I mean, he's off the top. Of course. And then there's the remaining money to go from. Yeah, you're right. They're paying different people, but a lot of times it's the recording cost. You want a separate recording fund from your personal advance, and that will solve some of it. And it's not the amount of money; it's how you're given the money. And it doesn't matter if they give you ten gazillion dollars if they don't do any promotion.
1: Exactly because I mean you can get it you can go sign a one million dollar deal and you you may be lucky to come home with 250,000 and if you had been told originally that you were signing a deal for 250,000 you'd be like oh man I'm not going to do that well because they say it's a million and then you don't want an account to in your brain you're like wow this person this person this person are going to eat up from me and then now because I've made this much money I made a million dollars or 700,000 afterwards now you're at the highest tax bracket one of the highest that they can be so that's almost 50% of your money going to taxes from now from your 700,000 you have 350,000 and you didn't even buy a car or your house for your mom or a house for yourself yet
0: what's the old joke it's true story that will smith out of his first paycheck in the 80s when he was out there you know and will smith bought 13 cars at the the end of the month he didn't have enough money to put gas in the cars (laughs) true story (laughs) But yeah, it's it's not the money thing. People look at money and they don't understand how much they're really getting. This money stuff, you know, don't sign something until you really check out how much money you really get. I know what I was going to say. There's ways to solve that where you only get end up with the 250,000. And that is you have, you put other things so that as you're, Contract is going on. Your money keeps adding up. So what you can do? Let's say you end up with that two hundred fifty thousand. But maybe they're given so much for the first album, but the second or third second album, say you get another fifty percent raise mm-hmm. advance, and the, and then a third album another fifty percent advance. And you know what the funny part is? The record companies will say, "Okay, you know why." because they can drop you anytime they want to. If they don't think you're worth that 50,000, they're gonna drop you. And if they think you are, they're gonna give it to you. Another thing, another way to raise money, I mean, I use this when I, you know, negotiate for clients and stuff, is the amount of songs streamed, sold, whatever. (laughs) So if you get so much uh, 50% of the digital thing, but if it goes over, like a hundred million, a million sold or something. I'm just making up numbers now. Million sold or whatever, then it goes to 55%. And, you, and the record companies are going to say, okay. But you got to ask for it beforehand. Yeah. Then they can just drop you. If you ask for something down the road, when you're already signed, they might say, okay, but they're going to want something in return. You might not want to give it off.
1: Of course, especially, or they might just say, okay, and just blow you off. I mean, there's so many people that are going back, so many artists that are trying to go back and buy their masters because they finally smartened up and they had the right people around them to explain what had happened to them in the first place. But the thing that we always come back to and the thing that is the most important is to be preventative and to actually to secure yourself before you go out there. Like, if I, if I didn't meet Pooch two years ago, and uh, say I had, I met, I was working making music, doing whatever, about, about two years ago, and I had released a song that hit five million listens on Spotify, I would have had no idea and, and uh, no idea where my money would be coming from. But because of Pooch and him being able to help me and set me up, and, and well, I have my own business, my own publishing company, and be able to understand where I'm getting paid. Now, if I were to do uh, put a song out and it made a million uh, streams or whatever, I would actually be getting paid the money that I deserve to be getting paid. It's a lot easier to get it, but like uh, a lot easier to be preventative and get the whole sum of money than to, to be trying to uh, pick up your, the, your coattail from the <laughs> afterwards.
0: Well, uh, yeah, but being preventative, there's <laughs> a word, preventative in, in, is to own your own publishing company. If it goes to somebody else, they're going to take out this and that and whatever's left trickles down to you own your own publishing, at least you get something. Now the rates still are not that great with Spotify, but if you get some from Spotify, some from YouTube, some from this, that's why you have the multiple sources of income, mm-hmm. it adds up, you know?
1: It does, it, especially if you work at it.
0: Yeah, it does take effort. You know, it takes talent, but it takes effort.
1: <laughs> so yeah. And
0: I think we've totally run out of time
1: yeah, for sure. We definitely were over, but you know what? It was an important conversation. We jumped a lot today, but it's I felt important. that we t- we touched a lot of topics that I feel like uh, were super important.
0: Yeah, it's great. Okay, folks, stay tuned for the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, see you, everyone. Thanks for watching. Tune in for the next episode.